One of the questions I'm often asked as a Presbyterian minister when people find out I'm a minister is, so what's the difference between Presbyterians and, say, Catholics or Anglicans or Baptists? Uh, now, depending on who's asking the question, I, I might talk about how we have elders. After all, that's where the name Presbyterian comes from. Uh, I might talk about how we don't have bishops. Uh, I, I might talk about how we baptise babies. Now, each of those things makes us a, a little bit different from some of those other denominations. Now, in my opinion, those distinctives are good and, and we've got it uh, closer to what the Bible teaches than those other denominations, but they're distinctives that are not that important. They don't matter that much. I'm quite happy for Christians to hold different positions on those things and we can still work happily together. But then there are other things that do matter, things that we shouldn't compromise over, things we should fight hard to protect and to make sure uh, they stay central. So what things do matter? Well, probably a major label Presbyterians use when we describe ourselves is evangelical. Evangelical. Now, it's come to mean quite a lot of things, especially if you're interested in American conservative politics. Evangelical has a whole range of things around it. Uh, in the Australian church context, it describes churches who believe that the Bible is the main way God speaks to us today. Uh, that's seen in the way we focus on the Bible in our meetings. Uh, but the name itself, evangelical, it, it comes from the Greek word for gospel, euangelion. Uh, the gospel is the good news. News from God himself that people are sinners who can't save themselves, we're headed for God's judgement. But through Jesus, God offers us forgiveness and eternal life. That's the gospel. Uh, the evangel, if you like. So, above everything else, evangelicals are committed to that message. It's our priority, our focus. It's the news we proclaim to the world. It's the message that God uses to change people's lives. It's the most important news that's ever been given. Nothing matters more. Most denominations, will, uh, they're happy to say that they believe the gospel. But I wonder if in practice, it seems they're pretty quick to, to jump over it and to move on to other things. They treat it a bit like an entrance exam to get you into university rather than the subject material you study. It's something you study that gets you into the church, but then you move on to other things. You move past the gospel. Uh, to other things that a church might focus on, maybe it's social welfare or, or prophecy or ritual or tradition or sacraments or theology. Uh, but for evangelicals, we want to say the gospel is everything. It's connected to every part of our life. It influences why and how and what we do. Whatever we're doing, we need to remember that we're sinful, that we mess things up. Uh, we need God to forgive us and change us and live in us every day. We need to submit every area of our life to the Lordship of Jesus. The Gospel affects our attitudes to ourselves and to others our attitudes to our work and our possessions and our future. The gospel matters. Uh, we don't move past it. We don't ignore it. We don't outgrow it. 
That's what this passage is teaching us, that the gospel is God's top priority. It's the Apostle Paul's top priority and it should be ours as well. The gospel matters. The first thing we see is that the gospel matters more than disagreements. We're picking up the story from uh, verse 36 of chapter 15. Uh, We've just seen how Paul and Barnabas have come back from Jerusalem. They're back in Antioch and uh, they're teaching uh, in Antioch. Uh, Verse 35, they're teaching and preaching the gospel. Uh, We then come to verse 36. Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to visit all the other churches where they've planted, all the other cities where they've planted churches, where they've preached the gospel previously. Uh, But there's a problem. It comes time to pick the team they're going to take with them and the captain and the vice-captain, they can't agree. Uh, Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul's not interested in Mark. He's concerned about his form, you see. He thinks he needs to be dropped. Uh, Back in chapter 13, maybe you remember it, it's only a little passing reference. Uh, They're halfway through their first trip and Mark has enough. Uh, For some reason, we don't know why, he deserts Paul and he heads back home to Jerusalem. Paul was depending on him, but Mark had just sort of disappeared. And so Paul doesn't want to risk that same thing happening again. He wants someone who's more dependable. But Barnabas, on the other hand, he's prepared to forgive and forget. Uh, He wants to restore him to ministry. Now, to say they can't agree, it's an understatement. Verse 39 says, they had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Now, this is serious. Uh, It is tricky, isn't it? I'm not sure who's right. Often in churches, there'll be awkward questions like this. Uh, Maybe when someone sinned, and they've repented, should they be allowed back to do, to do the thing that they were doing before, the, the ministry they were doing before? I think there's all sorts of situations that uh, it depends on the person and the role and the, the, the cause and, and how the person's responded. But perhaps this isn't even about sin. Maybe it's just a wisdom issue uh, that uh, Mark is a certain type of person Uh, Is he suitable for this role or not? But I wonder whether that's not really the point of this passage. Uh, I think it's more about what they did agree on rather than what they didn't agree on. It's more about what they did agree on than what they didn't agree on. So have a look at how they work it out. They couldn't reach an agreement. Uh, There's not really any way to compromise. But notice what they didn't do. They didn't stop doing what mattered. They weren't going to stop telling the gospel. They both still went. So have a look at verse 39. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Now there's a map. I don't know if we can get that PowerPoint up. Here you go. Great. Okay, so there you can see uh, Antioch is here. Uh, That's not working. Try that. Uh, there's, oh, no, I've fast-forwarded. Sorry, that was my fault. It wasn't Hugo. <laughs> Put it back up, Hugo. There we go. Antioch's on uh, the, your right. And uh, so Barnabas heads for Cyprus. You can see there, he heads in that direction. Now, that's the direction they'd gone on their first missionary journey. They'd gone clockwise. 
Uh, now, Paul, he, uh, he goes in the other direction and uh, he goes anti-clockwise. He, he, he gets to Derby first. Now, that's actually where they'd finished their first missionary journey. And he wants to start there where they'd finished. Now, they were both doing what mattered most. They were spreading the news about Jesus. They agreed to disagree about Mark, but they agreed on the gospel. These churches need, these cities need to hear about Jesus. They were evangelicals. They were committed uh, to the gospel. The gospel matters more than things we disagree on. I don't agree with every Christian I meet, but if we agree on how you're saved, who Jesus is and what he's done, how important that is, we can agree to disagree on lots of other things. And so I'll keep working at teaching scripture. We're trying to get the ministers of all the churches in the inner west to to talk and pray together, to, to focus on the things that we agree on, even if we don't agree on some things. The gospel matters more than disagreements. The next section we see is that the gospel matters more than externals. The gospel matters more than externals. And we're moving into chapter 16. So Paul arrives in Lystra. He meets a guy called Timothy. He's a Christian. His mum's a Jew. His dad's a Gentile. Now Paul decides that he would love to have Timothy travel with him. He doesn't want to take Mark, but he does want Timothy. So look at what he does. Verse 3 of chapter 16 he decides to circumcise Timothy. Now here's the thing that's strange. In chapter 15, we've just finished hearing how Paul argued strongly that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised to be saved. Salvation was about faith in Jesus. It wasn't about external differences. In fact, in verse 4 of this chapter, one of the jobs he's got for Timothy is that he travels with Paul to all of the towns and tell them that they don't need to be circumcised. Uh, It's all about faith in Jesus. Now that probably felt like a small consolation for for poor old Timothy. So what's going on? Is Paul being inconsistent here? Well, the answer's there if you look a little bit closer. Look there in verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You see, Timothy's already saved. He doesn't need to be circumcised to be saved, but because of the Jews uh, who lived nearby, they knew who Timothy was. They knew that he was a Gentile. They knew that, uh, and so Paul knew that if he turned up in a town and went to a synagogue with Timothy, he wouldn't be welcome. And Paul wouldn't get the chance to share with these Jews about Jesus. Timothy wouldn't be able to share with them either. Circumcision is the means to be able to proclaim the gospel. It's not the means of being saved. John Stott puts it like this. He says circumcision was unnecessary for acceptance with God, but advisable for acceptance by some men. Unnecessary for acceptance with God, advisable for acceptance by some men. You see, Paul wants to remove anything else that's a barrier for the message about Jesus. Anything that would cause people to switch off to the gospel. It matters more, the gospel matters more 
than anything that's external. The strategy worked. Verse 5 gives us a summary. The churches were strengthened uh, with the help uh, of Timothy. They grew daily in numbers. The gospel was working. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about his strategy when it comes to sharing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, he says, Though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. In other words, the gospel matters more than any of those external things. The gospel matters more than what clothes you wear. It matters more than what sort of music you sing in church. It matters more than what people think of you. It matters more than getting a good night's sleep. It matters more than having an easy life. It matters more than being embarrassed or ridiculed. It matters more than being punished or even persecuted. And this passage says it matters more even than getting circumcised. Does the gospel matter to you? Well, as the story moves on, we see how much the gospel matters to God. God had people who needed to hear the gospel. As Janet said, he's picked people out from before the creation of the world. And so he's going to work situations and people to make sure Paul and his companions reach these people. Uh, They're travelling through Asia. And verse 6 says the Holy Spirit keeps them from preaching. Uh, Verse 7 says they try to head up to Bithynia, that's up the the top of Asia, Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. Paul's got his plans. He, He wants to preach the gospel in Asia. But God's got different plans. Uh, Down in verse 10, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia. Uh, Can we put the map up again, Hugo? Sorry. Uh, So Macedonia is over in Greece, so that's uh, just across the the Aegean Sea, and uh, Paul has a vision of a man over in Greece calling to him. Uh, And so they decide that God has called them to preach the gospel, not in Asia anymore, but over in Europe. Now notice how each person of the Trinity uh, has has his say here. Uh, We've got the Holy Spirit, verse 6. We've got, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus, uh, not letting him go up to Bithynia. And then we've got God, who's giving the vision. Uh, We've got this threefold message of guidance, just to make sure Paul gets the message. Uh, That's the second time that's happened. Do you remember Peter had a similar threefold message vision as well when he got the vision of the animals in the sheep three times he got the same vision eventually the message gets through Paul changes his plans and he heads for Europe the gospel matters to God he'll open and close doors to make sure the gospel gets to the people he's chosen he doesn't just open and close doors he opens people's hearts as well verse 11 Paul and his friends hop on a boat at Troas They make it across the Aegean Sea, they get uh, to Greece. Before long they arrive in Philippi. 
They go looking for some Jews to tell about Jesus. It's always what Paul does. He goes to the Jews first. There's no synagogue in town. There are not enough Jews, quite uh, probably. And so they find the next best thing. They find a place of prayer. It's down by the river outside the town. Verse 13, probably uh, the river because there was ceremonial washing that the Jews did as part of their weekly meeting. They meet a lady called Lydia, verse 14. She's from Asia also. She's an immigrant. She's a successful merchant, uh, merchant, almost certainly a Gentile, a God-fearer. Perhaps she learned about uh, God from the Jews in her hometown. But the best thing that we learn about Lydia is what God does for her. Uh, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This is someone God was working all of these plans for so Paul could meet her and preach the gospel to her. And God uses that to open her heart, open her eyes to understand her need for forgiveness and to see that Jesus was the one who would bring it. And the angels in heaven rejoice. You see, the gospel matters to God. It's the, it, it's the, the method he uses to bring people like Lydia into his family and he's still doing it that way he's not just opening hearts he's opening prison doors verse 16 sometime later we read about a slave girl she's possessed by an evil spirit verse 17 she follows Paul and his friends around and she yells as they're trying to preach these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved now I would have thought that was pretty good publicity (laughs) But she ends up making such a nuisance of herself, perhaps she interrupts them. She makes things so hard for Paul, he he turns around and he commands the evil spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus. Which it does. Which I'm sure makes the slave girl a lot happier. But it makes her owners furious. They've lost their income. And so they they take her, uh, so they grab Paul and Silas They drag them before the magistrates. Uh, They sue them for loss of income, I guess. Uh, And they're whipped and they're thrown in jail. Uh, Now, at this point, two miraculous things happen. The first is in verse 25. Uh, They're in jail. They're bruised. They're whipped. They're chained up. But in verse 25 we read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Now they're so certain that God has brought them to Ephesus for a reason. I think that's the reason they're praying and singing. Uh, They've seen God's guidance. They've seen how God has brought Lydia. They're so sure that the gospel matters to God, they're trusting and praising God, even while they're in chains in prison. In fact, the other prisoners, uh, the fact that the other prisoners are listening, uh, I wonder whether that shows them that God's plans are working as well. That's only the first miracle. Uh, the second miracle, verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. God's good news can't be contained by walls and doors and chains. He makes sure it's going to get out. Uh, Not just for the prisoners to hear, 
but for the jailer as well. He needs to hear the ground shake, the doors fly open, the chains fall off. But rather than the prisoners escaping, they all stay there, which I think is astounding. Maybe the singing was that good. (laughs) So the jailer comes looking. The doors are open. He assumes the worst, that the prisoners are gone, and he draws his sword. He's about to kill himself when Paul calls out from inside the prison cell, hang on a minute, it's all right, we're still here. At which point he brings them out and he asks a fascinating question. Verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, where did he know he needed to be saved? Had he heard Paul and Silas singing? Perhaps he'd heard the slave girl in the marketplace earlier in the week. Remember, that's exactly what her warning had been. These guys will show you uh, how to be saved. He's asking that question. Perhaps it was just written on the charge sheet (laughs) that he had. But somehow he knew that he needed to be saved. And look at what they answer, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others. So we get the summary here. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. But there was more that went with that sermon as well. But that's the summary. The gospel, that message matters so much. God brought Paul and Silas through who knows how many adventures all the way from Antioch. He'd closed doors. They'd crossed seas. God shook the ground, God ruined buildings to deliver that message. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Accept the gift of forgiveness that God is holding out. The jailer knows a good thing when he sees it. He responds, he and his whole family. Verse 33. At that hour of the night the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And so by the end of their visit to Philippi, they've planted a church. It's there in verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. The brothers, the family of people who are trusting Jesus in this city. These are the people God cared enough about to send Paul and Silas to them. The gospel had done its work. And now there's a a little family of people in Philippi who are friends with God, whose eternity is sure. They're the reason the gospel matters. Uh, It's why it mattered to Paul and why it matters to God. Does it matter to you? Does the gospel matter to you? Does it warm your heart when you hear stories like Janet's about people coming to know Jesus and their lives being changed? Are you constantly amazed at God's goodness, at his grace for you, at his grace for others, that he draws people to himself? that he works situations, that he opens eyes, that he grants repentance. Janet reckons she had a pretty good job. I reckon I've got one of the best jobs in the world as well. I get to be in the front row as as I watch God do his work 
to change people's lives. Now, you can be part of that as well. Many of you are part of this. Does the gospel matter to you? Does it shape your decisions? Does it shape the things that you're willing to give up? The way you use your week? The way you use your, your assets that God's given you, your money, your, your holidays, your skills? Does it shape your conversations? Does it shape your prayer life? It should, because the gospel matters. It matters more than anything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with amazement and wonder and gratitude for what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. That it would affect everything, our, our attitudes, our words, our choices, it would affect our families and our friends. Uh, Lord, for any here this morning who don't know you, we pray that you would grant them repentance, that you would open their eyes and help them to see and to trust Jesus. And we pray all of this for his glory and in his name. Amen.